0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple of fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy port beverages.
0: East County Lime Road in Ridgeland,
2: 601-956-1030. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays
0: here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready. To go beyond the headlines. Enjoy w- a meaningful a conversation, conversation. with people 45. from around the state. News, shots, whole You're listening to Middays Jackson, with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: And Welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Friday, y'all. Very important. It's Friday. We made it. (laughs) Yes, we did a little brisk outside. Had to take my vehicle in for some service this morning. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, Brakes are acting up a little bit. I hope that's not one of those deals where I got to go take a loan out to repair it. But we shall see. And, and caught a, a ride with the uh, the dealership, carried me up here. Wasn't too far from here. So I'll get a call later on. There's a little odor I smell in here. It's It's like electric sort of burning we're not like burning down all the computers that run this place are we?
3: not that i'm aware of but you <laughs> now that you mentioned it i have smelled that before in that room and i've always tried to find it and never could find it maybe we're talking too much Maybe. (laughs) It's all all the hot air (laughs) melting in the electronics and smells like ozone.
2: Yeah, exactly. It is that distinct ozone electronics burning smell. (laughs) That's exactly right. I'm telling you. Well, we are uh, pleased to be with you today. Uh, For me, it's overtime. I, I was a guest this morning on the Paul Gallo Show at uh, 8.05 this morning, and he and I were discussing HB 401. You know about that one. That is the bill that seeks to uh, regulate the route to market of the sale of new vehicles in the state of Mississippi. And it's something that I've made clear I oppose. Uh, I think this is gross government overreach and reeks of central planning where the government is bullying consumers into how they would acquire a new vehicle how that transaction would would transpire so i, I told you guys yesterday i was writing an article about this matter and it got published this morning on the super talk website hope Hopefully, you'll go take a look at that. I'll acknowledge it's a bit long. That's after we cut it down. (laughs) And uh, very grateful to our content director, Alex Payton, who did an awesome job of proofreading, editing, making a couple of suggestions, and we incorporated those. I'm told uh, by J.T. Mitchell, our news director, who, by the way, is on the program at 1105, passed him in the hall and said it's got 500 uh, reads so far. So I hope you'll go take a look at that. And, and Rhino, you know, I've said this before, and it was this time last week that I think in the last half hour of the program I got pretty fired up about this issue, and I won't apologize for that. I, I've lived this. I, I can't express that enough. I'm not speaking from the perspective of someone who has not had to manage and um overcome the threats of disruption. And you and I talked about this. You made a great <laughs> case the other day going back 150 years ago, roughly, when automobiles came onto the scene, hundred years ago, I guess, roughly. A little longer than that. Little, split the little longer. We'll say 125. Uh, early 1900s late 1800s late 1800s yeah.
3: for the early adopters early 1900s for the the iPhone 3 version of the car and then from there it just exploded okay
2: well uh, that was a uh, was an early maybe one of the earliest examples of disruption because there was another industry at the time other industries other modes of, of transportation
3: Oh, yeah. There was an explosion around the turn of the 19th century of transportation and interest in new vehicles. Because besides just the car with the internal combustion engine, which also you look back at history, there was a push for electric vehicles because you didn't have to carry fuel with you. That's true. But the technology wasn't up to snuff at the time. But you also had... Not the invention, but the mass adoption of the bicycle, yeah you had not long after that the invention of the airplane. yeah, That's and all, all of these points. things
2: just kept growing over time. And guess what else was going on at the same time? Innovators figured out a way to extract this material underneath our feet known as oil. She changed our world literally. There's no modern economy. there's no modern society. Without that
3: energy, period. oh yeah, it's one of the the pillars of industrialization and modernization for countries.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: You had to have oil or coal or both. You had to have iron. Yes. You had to have wheat, and you had to have people.
2: Uh, exactly. I in in looking at this and thinking about this legislation, I, I I'm reminded of Ronald Reagan's famous quote. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, <laughs> regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. And maybe that's a stretch to apply that here, but it is government regulation, not... And this is what I said on Paul's show this morning. We're not talking about regulating a harmful product. I mean, you can understand, for example, why we don't just allow certain drugs to be sold other than through a registered pharmacist. There's some regulation of that. Now, there's some who would argue we don't need that. You know, I mean, there's, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, you go to Mexico, you can get the the really good cough syrup without even seeing a doctor. You just walk (laughs) in the pharmacy. But it it goes both ways, because the American medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, is what developed the third, fourth, and I guess now fifth generations of antihistamines to, to help people with allergies. Yeah. And a lot of those were prescription-only for a long time until they were proven to be safe over-the-counter, and now you can buy them over-the-counter. Well, that that's just one example. There, that's how you, how you got get, Zyrtec and
2: Allegra over-the-counter.
3: Those used right. to be prescription-strength and prescription-only.
2: That, that's right. And there, there are other commodities that rise to the level of needing some form of reasonable regulation, but th- that's not... Because of the way in which those products are sold, it's more about the harmful aspects of the product. A motor vehicle or an electric vehicle unto itself is not harmful. So what are we protecting here? People buying cars? Um, Are we protecting against, uh, let's say, a teenager? dials up a new Tesla on their phone, 75,000 bucks. They ain't shipping it to you unless you got some way to pay for it. It's not coming. So it's not like, oh, my gosh, if we allow this, miners... Think about so many products that are regulated. uh, In many cases, they're regulated by age. We just don't allow miners to buy them. That's probably the most common form of regulation. But in this case... They're not going to buy a $75,000 Tesla online. It's not going to come to them and show up, and they go get in it, and they're not able to drive and go do harm to, to person and property. That, so we're not protecting against that. That's, that's a ruse. What are we protecting against here? What, what's the rationale to telling, for telling Mississippians you can only buy these vehicles through these outlets? And and here's the point that I think's getting missed. This isn't about electric vehicles. This could be potato chips. It, the, the product being sold, as long as it's, again, not harmful and, and not something that would uh, be destructive to society or to others, well, that rises to a different level. That's not what this is. This is just about, you just got to go here if you want to buy one of these. So... And and I need to say as well that, you know, these people that in the legislature, I know a lot of them and that that are in support of this, and I respect them a lot. I think a lot of them. I just disagree with them on this issue. And so we can disagree and and uh, part our ways, obviously, and still be friends, as I think and hope that we will. But I'm not going to back down on this. And, and the reason that I'm so passionate about this is that I have lived it. I made a living in arguably the industry most subject to change and disruption than any. Think about the automobile industry. How often do they change models? If you're lucky, once a year. Once a year. I worked in an industry, it was like once a day, once an hour. Oh, gosh, well, you'd just be bombarded with something new, and you'd scratch your head and say, how the hell are we going to deal with that?
3: Oh, yeah, the customer's walking out with the newest model computer <laughs> while the mailman's coming
2: in with the magazine showing the next new model. <laughs> we used to call, literally used to call them notebook commandos. They'd have their magazines back in those days. But just fast forward through the evolution of our industry where it got really sophisticated and complicated, way beyond just computers, but all this infrastructure that we did. I'll get into that a little bit and a whole lot more. J.T. Mitchell at 11.05. Ken Newberger, Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association at 12.05. Middays, taking a break now, coming right back.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Two, three. Four. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo.
2: Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. We are back in the Element Wealth studios. It's middays. Super Talk Mississippi. Go to myElementWealth.com or call 601. 601- Nine five seven six zero zero six to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The C-Spire text line, 601 We invite you to join the conversation as Carolyn Starkville has says regarding the, the odor that is uh, a bit present here in the studio. It do, it does. It smells like electric, electronics. It smells like if you,
3: in the early days of the Internet, bought an electronic device expecting it to work for American (laughs) outlets and it comes with a European outlet. And you plug it into the American outlet and you see that white smoke that comes out and that wonderful ozone smell. Or vice versa. True. Is it
2: worse. If you ever had to travel
3: somewhere. In exactly.
2: Got to have the little converters. Carol in Starkville says, it's that lighting because we've been talking about the lighting in here, <laughs> which Scary Gary has fixed us up. We're all lit up now. So we appreciate that. Ken in West Point says, if you have fluorescent lighting, have someone check the ballast. Yeah, absolutely. But these are um, these are new LED lights, I think, here in the studio, huh? Yeah, I think there may
3: be one or two that are compact fluorescent and the uh, non-necessary ones. Okay, gotcha. With compact fluorescent, do you
2: have a ballast or is it built in? I don't know. I think it's built in. I think it is, too. I don't think they require, but having uh, at one time owned a building where we operated that uh, was just jam-packed with fluorescent lighting, commercial-style fluorescent lighting, including the parabolic lighting in certain areas. It seems like that was constant, the fluorescent service folks coming out. Well, that's a great example of disruption. So new lighting technology replaces the old, and so there's less of a need for those that come out and replace those ballasts. That's not something that you would attempt to do on your own. I certainly wouldn't. Pretty much need to know what you're doing there. Um, but, yeah, there are companies that are in that business. They're subject to to disruption. I could go down a long laundry list, and I'll I'll share you a couple of them with you that are just examples of disruption. Something that a lot of people are quite familiar with is the old cut the cord. Remember, originally you could only get television content through your antenna that you'd hoist up on your house, and you would receive it off-air, is what it's called. Off-air, just a signal out in the air, Comes through your antenna, plugs into your TV, you pretty much got the local channels available that covered your area. When I was a kid, we only had two. We only had a, 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 an NBC affiliate and a CBS affiliate. The ABC affiliate in the local area uh, came about when I was in elementary school. And we had three. That was three. That was it. And then all of a sudden, this new thing comes up called cable cable. And new content popped up that was distributed on the cable. And there were cable companies locally that owned the cable networks. And now they're getting disrupted by streaming because we all got Internet connections. And guess who else is getting disrupted on that? The movie theaters.
3: There's a bit of irony in it all because towards the end of the heyday of cable... You had a large push for, well, why can't I just a la carte what I want on my cable package? Yeah. Why do I have to buy these 40 channels to get one? <laughs> Fast forward to the streaming wars, and now you have to pay basically the same amount you were paying for a cable bill to a la carte your streaming. Absolutely. I.
2: Right, how about this? How about record albums in physical media for music? What happened to the record stores? Used to be used to dot the landscape. They ain't around anymore. We don't need them. They and got the disrupted. only ones that
3: survived for any length of time were the ones that diversified and didn't just sell records. Bingo. They had
2: band shirts and Duh. posters and memorabilia and merch. Got into the production business often. So they they had to figure out another value proposition, different value propositions. To the market, they couldn't rely on government to say, "Oh no, you can't sell, uh, you can't sell that digital media in here in Mississippi. You got to go buy your your music from a record store." We got to protect them. Same deal. What's different? It's not. Just so many examples. Radiators. There was a time when radiator shops were all over the place. Where'd they go? We don't need them anymore. We figured out a way to cool a vehicle's engine without the need for a radiator. You remember Radio Shack? Where'd they go? Same deal. How about about this one? How about movie rental stores? Few out there, maybe? Very few. Very few. Don't need that anymore.
3: There's I still two. think if with the right amount of capital, I could make a killing with a pop-up blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> a pop-up? Just for the nostalgia. Just for a couple of weeks, just till the nostalgia wears off, people would flock to it. Just to be able to, on a Friday night, wander the aisles and pick out something they've probably seen.
2: Yeah. The problem is, do they have
3: VCRs in their houses anymore? No, they wouldn't. it would have to be DVDs. DVDs, yeah. Although, now that you bring that up, I guess I could have rental VCRs. <laughs> there you go.
2: Well, and they're still, But then again,
3: trying to find a VCR that you could buy that would be worthwhile to rent. Because now the VCR...
2: Like, have you tried to price a VCR recently? They're they're expensive. They're outrageously expensive. They're like like turntables. They're collector's items. They're vintage. And I was going to say, there are some record stores that are selling the old vinyl. There's some purists out there that like that and collect that. So that's kind of launched another industry, but that's a cottage industry. It's not the wide, broadly... Consume method of music right just like the
3: the re-rise of vinyl records yeah exactly it's what. yeah it's it's a novelty it's, it's, it's right. nostalgia or a, a new generation looking back but it's it's nowhere near the proliferation that it once was
2: yeah i mean it's audio files more more uh legacy audio files will will tell you they prefer they kind of miss the scratches literally you know it kind of brings them back oh yeah the warmth of the analog sound yeah Exactly, as opposed to the pure digital sound, so to speak. Uh, sh- but think about Walmart, which, by the way, last I checked, is the largest employer in the state. If you think about all the uh, collectively uh, in aggregate, all the employees that work for Walmart, because they're everywhere. And a lot of people would say, well, the bad thing about Walmart is they ran all the small mom-and-pop so-called businesses, in the, in, mainly in the local communities. They overtook them. But should we protect them and say, sorry, Walmart, you can't come here. We can't let you build these giant superstores that people flock to because you are able to buy at a lower price and pass those savings on. And by the way, under one roof, I can get a whole lot of stuff, electronics, groceries, pharmacy, cash checks, get my nails done, my tax return. What a novel idea.
3: And tire and oil
2: change. There you go. I mean, you just go down the list, right? And then what happens is Amazon pops up. Oh, you don't need Walmart. We can sell you all that stuff in the comfort of your pajamas in your house 24 hours a day. So Walmart didn't go to government and say, you can't let Amazon sell in here. We can't survive like that. They launched their e-commerce platform. So did Target. That's just part of the natural evolution of markets. Here's something a lot of people aren't aware of, Rhino. Eyeglasses. Okay? An eye examination to determine prescriptive lenses for correction, vision correction. Most of us go to local eye doctor. You sit down, they got that machine, you're looking at the charts, and they keep flipping. Is this better or is that better? Is this better or is that better? That's a repetitive task that a machine can do. So there's a company called Visibly. Go look it up, folks. You can go online, pay them 35 bucks, download an app, on your phone, examine your eyes. They have doctors write a prescription, send it to you, just as good, just as precise as the local doctor when you sitting in the chair. Disruption. Does that mean they're going out of business? No. They'll work on other things. What it can't do, for example, is examine your eyes for other eye diseases, cataracts, glaucoma, etc. You need, at this point at least, you need a doctor looking at your eyes. But the flipping of the lenses on the machine, that's just not that hard. The technology can replace that. Joe Biden yesterday, all he ever talks about when he gives economic speeches is manufacturing, 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 manufacturing. You you saw it, and and you looked it up. I think one day when I had you do this about a year ago, I think you were in a little bit of disbelief. 7.6% of the jobs in this country are manufacturing, and it ain't growing. Why? Because we don't need people to make stuff.
3: It's just another example of why I believe Joe Biden is still using the same political playbook he used in the 1980s. He's still stuck there. Yep. Still stuck. Because if you look back at the 80s, manufacturing was a much bigger part of the... No doubt the about it.
2: That's just a natural evolution. But look at all the jobs that didn't exist in the 80s that do now, that are offer a lot more opportunity. It is a fool's errand to uh, try to hang your hat on manufacturing as a way to grow our... Economy and improve prosperity. Coming right back there on midday. Stay with us.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
2: us in here on midday's, the great Lou Graham, lead vocalist. I think all the members of the band were actually domestic. I don't think any of them. But at first, when he came out, when the band came on the scene, I was in college, and I thought, oh, they're all from overseas. Who who was it used to do the the uh, co- comedic routine? I can't remember who it was. It may have been, what was it, uh, sort of obese guy, Louis, that passed away, remember him a few years ago? Louis Anderson? Yeah, I think it was him, but I could be wrong. But anyhow, part of the shtick was uh, when you go to school and you'd have somebody in your class that spoke a different language. They were foreign. And they moved into the U.S., and <laughs> they would describe them as being from another land. <laughs> he's from another land. <laughs> well, the foreigner folks, the band members, they were actually from this country. May have had one member that wasn't. Lou Graham, though, he's he's an American. So back on this, this deal, uh, yeah, there's lots of our great listeners and viewers are reminding us of various disruptive occurrences throughout the course of history uh, in the in the product services realm. Copier fax companies, says Leo and McComb, had to transform into print, scan, and archive companies. Scan one, print many. Yeah, that's just one of the... I mean, we could go through such a long laundry list. And all of those disruptions were not just in reference to new technologies that perhaps cannibalized existing technology, totally replaced it, supplanted it, because the new technology was better, it also had a tremendous impact on, on the way in which it's delivered, and on the consumption model. So that's a great example there, Leo. Gary in the Berg says... Used to be that TV came through the air and phone came through the cable. Now phones come through the air and TV through the air. That's a great point. Absolutely true. What happened to landlines? I re- I remember back in the gosh, this was back in the mid '80s, maybe the carriers, the telecom carriers, they were they were all concerned about losing their their a lot of their core revenue, which was landline service, long distance. They knew this was coming, and there were proposals to start charging for local service by the minute, as long distance was. And the reason was because people were starting to connect their modems modems back then to Internet service providers, which was a local phone call, and they'd be on it for hours. So that would consume their net, same network, consume their network. And they said, yeah, we're going to have to start metering local service. But that gave rise to new technology where we didn't have to use a modem to make a phone call over a um, um, a, a line, an asynchronous line. And, and um, gosh, what's the word you just said a minute ago? I can't believe um, di- the opposite of digital analog, analog. an analog line. Yeah. Which required a phone number. Those are just those are analog lines that aren't carrying bits, they're carrying sound waves. That's the way we communicate. It's what a modem did. It's called modulator demodulator. That's what it stood for. And on both sides it would it would take that analog signal and turn it into bits that computers could understand. Well the the point is
3: That's why it sounded like a robot was having a conniption fit when you were connecting to AOL.
2: <laughs> Remember that? Well, and that that's just because that's, that's the way we could connect then. We didn't have pervasive digital connectivity that we do today. In your house, a gig for 100 bucks a month. Little bitty device connects it. It's a network connection on it. Fiber in, Wi-Fi out. Routers That's what we call them. I remember first-generation routers. I sold them. Giant boxes, $100,000. Look at that today buy them in blister packs at Best Buy. Yeah, I couldn't make a living on $100,000 routers anymore. We knew that was going away. It's just a million examples of this. And it, to ignore it or think that government can interfere and intervene and stop it is honestly is the height of hubris. You can't. You're not. So let the market work, and that's the point here. Who's benefiting from this? I can't think of anybody's benefiting, other than those who were protected, which are the people that haven't adopted these new routes to market. And here's the thing, Rhino: the the mainstream manufacturers of these vehicles that these folks our franchise ease for, they're all moving in this direction, too. They're trying to figure out, how do we do this? we got this legacy dealer network. We, we want to have some degree of loyalty to them, but you know what? We're not going to be able to sell our vehicles with all these new companies coming onto the scene that are going to sell direct, and, and it looks like the consumer's okay with that. Now, I've got to tell you, personally, I'm not. I'm not ready for that yet. I like the idea. That's just me. I like the idea, going to the dealership, dealing with somebody who's going to attend to my business and knowing that I can contact them when i got problems and they have local service. And that, But that's me. But you may feel different. That's great. We all get served. We all have options. Options are good. Unlike what I talked about in my article, which is in 2015, you remember Bernie Sanders? There's too much deodorant, remember that? Too many options, we don't need that. Huh? We need you figured out how many we need? That's what he's basically saying. Who could forget? He tweeted yesterday, while the richest 1% have never had it so good, what is the reality for the working class? Well, the first problem with that statement in his tweet is that that implies that rich people don't work, have not worked. 60% of our people are living paycheck to paycheck. 57% cannot afford a $1,000 emergency. 41% are rent burdened. We need an economy that works for all. And basically what he's saying is, just turn over the reins to me, your favorite octogenarian. I'll manage the economy for you. I know best how to run a $20 trillion economy. That's what he's saying. That, my friends, is greed. That is the ultimate form of greed. I want to have control over what you built what you work for i'll control it i'll tell you what's best for you that's greed rising every day and working your feet off and your freaking fingers to the bone to produce and to maximize your profit that's not greed you're only producing it because the market likes what you're doing and you and you just constantly focus on what can i do so that the market likes what my work product consists of. They will part with their money for what I make, what I deliver, be it products or services. That is that is the way markets are designed to work. Bernie says, no, I'll figure that out for you. I'll tell you who you can hire, what you're going to pay them, what you're going to make, what you're going to charge for them, where you're going to sell it, how much of it you're going to make and sell that's just brute force central planning socialism. But there's no secret. That's what he covets.
3: That is greed. Well, he covets that for everyone but himself.
2: Oh that's yeah. That's why course. he
3: has three houses.
2: Of course. He is and then am,
3: defends it with well, I wrote a
2: book. He's among the one percent. And then there's this tweet from someone who whose moniker is call to activism. <laughs> I bet they lead a real fulfilling life. (laughs) And again, this is one, we talked about this yesterday, 34,000 likes on this one. Holy S-word. President Biden goes off on Republicans. They want to raise your gas prices. They want to cut taxes for billionaires. They want to impose a 30% national sales tax. All caps. This is what Biden said yesterday. Not on my watch. Who else loves when President Biden takes the gloves off? That's what he said. He couldn't (laughs) find the gloves to put them on in the first place. (laughs) Or his hands. (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's so crazy. Just so crazy. A lot more coming up on middays. After the break at the top of the hour, it's J.T. Mitchell, News Director, Super Talk Mississippi News, Ken Newberger, Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association at 1205. We're coming right back.
0: Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Back, everyone. Midday's super talk. Mississippi. The Pointer Sisters. So a long time ago, IBM used to have a lot of big companies do their annual sales club. You had to meet, you know, certain sales targets, and they had uh, they would always have it at really some exotic place, uh, resort type deal. I, I say exotic, but you know, upscale. And they also had a similar program for their dealer partners, us, in the 90s. And they'd have the club for the, the direct IBM reps, and then they'd have the club for the us dealers. And what made me think about it is the Pointer Sisters were the entertainment for the group. That's pretty cool to see them in, live in person there. Not not far away where I happen to be seated, put on a heck of a show.
3: Whereas my generation, every time we hear I'm so excited <laughs> by the Pointer Sisters, we think of that special episode of Saved by the Bell, where they talked about the dangers of caffeine pills.
0: <laughs>
3: Wait, what has I got to do with
2: them? Take, getting because excited the with the pills? Because the
3: character in Saved by the Bell, who played the goody-goody girl, the, yeah. the smart girl was using caffeine pills because she was also in a group that sang I'm so excited on top of her schoolwork and Uh-oh. she needed to take the caffeine pills to keep going until I Zach got had an intervention and then she had her whole I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so scared
2: scene. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have um we've talked some here I'm going to calm down and move away from the HB-401 electric vehicle bill. I I just, again, I speak from a perspective of a direct, personal, first-hand experience where I watched so much disruption through my 33 years, and every time I would think, that's it, we're gone, we're out of here, we can't survive it. And my wife used to say that we had a guardian angel that was always hovering over us that would was protecting us not government and looking back she was right because something would always emerge and it was opportunistic and we said yeah that's it that's our role and we'd seize advantage of it boom and we'd ride that and then then what would happen disruption and in an industry where there's no annual model releases. If you think about the gazillions of tinker toys involved in building these complex networks that we did. And and there could be new announcements at the drop of a hat on any given day and it, that could disrupt all kind of stuff. And I remember going to Wall Street in 2006 when I said, you know what, unless we get bigger in scale, we ain't going to make it. Because this is becoming an industry of enterprises. In other words, the customer opportunity were large multi-site enterprises with lots of knowledge workers that needed all this technology. And it was clear to me we were going to have to scale and get bigger and cast a larger net or we weren't going to make it. And a lot of folks like me had built these companies and they were all operating successfully in these local markets and doing well, but you could see this isn't going to last. And so I put a business plan together, went to Wall Street, got connected with someone who escorted me into a number of private equity firms, We made the pitch for an acquisition strategy, an expansion strategy. I needed capital to do that. And every single one of them in 2007 said, not only are we not interested in supporting your strategy, your business plan, your company is worth nothing. That was a pretty hard pill to swallow after twenty years of busting my butt. I came home with tail tucked. told my wife, Well, I just got told by the investment community my company's worth nothing. And I didn't agree with them. I was unsuccessful at convincing them, don't you see where all this is going? Don't you see they're going to need us because of all this new technology hadn't even been invented yet. And they're going to need folks like us that know how to make all that stuff work and can implement that successfully in an organization and carry them forward. They couldn't see it. But one individual did. And he said, stick with it. And here's some recommendations of how to kind of transform your revenue model and come back. And I did. I did. Five years later. And we went back to the investment community. They were falling all over themselves to give me money because they finally realized, oh, I get it now, where all this is going. They just couldn't see it. In a short five years, we went from your company's worth nothing to how much can we give you to pursue this strategy? And we did. And the only point I'm making is, it's disruption that caused that. Just have to hang on. You have to you have to be creative and innovative and you have to figure out and define your value proposition to the market or you will perish. And it can't be my value proposition is the government says this is how you gotta do business. That's not a value proposition. That's protectionism. We're just taking a break right here on middays. Our news director, JT Mitchell, in the Element Well Studios next. With you on middays in the Element Well Studios, joining us now, J.T. Mitchell, the news director for Super Talk
4: Mississippi News. J.T., what about it, Gerard, What's up, man? Thanks for having me again. You bet. Um, so there's a lot to dive in for this segment. Um, so I assume one of the main topics of today's program has been this EV bill, huh? HB 401, House yeah. Bill 401, which would. For anybody who didn't catch our interview last week or catch the beginning of your program today, um, it would ban the direct sale of all automobiles across Mississippi. So virtually just um, would take out the entire EV industry as Tesla and Elon and all of them have championed this direct sale model where instead of having a dealership, they just put a store. Right? Yeah, think of, it, think of it in terms of cell phones, yeah. you know. That would be our legislature telling um, Apple, hey, you have to sell cell phones through AT&T. Yeah. You can't have an Apple store in Renaissance, to Jackson State, wherever. Um, so that's ongoing. And the latest update on that, which uh, happened yesterday, is it did pass out of committee in, in the Senate, Senate. And so now we'll head to the floor for a vote yep. whenever they get around to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've been thinking and um, – Mississippi, a lot of our politicians, they definitely pride themselves on being a free market state. Mm -hmm. And say this does pass the Senate, um, say it does pass both chambers, and Governor Tay Reeves gets the chance to veto, honestly be a big move for an election year. No doubt. And so we'll see how this all plays out. Well,
2: I think the governor, if it plays out the way you just described and it makes it to uh, the governor, if he signs it... It, that would seem to conflict with his uh, rather uh, constant campaign message that we want to make Mississippi the best state to set up business, especially and business. economically. right? Yeah, talking about that, and I actually cited the governor uh, in his his proclamation of that on a regular basis in my article, and mm-hmm. I and I believe by it by
4: the way, press the piece. Thank you, appreciate that. And I hope folks
2: will will uh, take a little time to read that, and I and I absolutely believe. Uh, in my heart that the governor means that, still means it, and meant it. And I think he's done great in that regard. I think we've seen lots of uh, um, progress in that regard with respect to new economic development projects, et cetera. He, he's, he he harbors a business-friendly attitude. This, however, to me, is business-unfriendly. It's certainly consumer-unfriendly.
4: Well, you see a lot of bills, um, not only on a state level but a national mm-hmm. level, that are interest-group-driven. Um, and this seems to be maybe falling into that category, right?
2: But it's like I said in the article, it's freight drain going downhill. And it's not – you're not going to stop it. You're just not. And it's uh, – this is just another industry that is being disrupted, and there isn't an industry out there that's not subject to some forms at some – at varying levels, I should say, of disruption. And right. you just got to adapt.
4: And everybody, you know, I've seen some backlash saying this isn't just directed at EVs. Yes, right. it would ban the direct sale of all automobiles. However, no other companies outside of the EV ones do that. Do that's, it that way. Yeah,
2: and I, that's only because uh, they're they're new to yeah. uh, to vehicle sales in the vehicle industry. And their smart folks are sitting around, well, how do do we get these to market? What's our route to market? And they're saying, do we need dealers, or can we sell directly? And rest assured, they've done enormous research. Apple, you don't think they're going to introduce something, because they're about to introduce and start producing and selling their EVs. And it just so happens that the future of vehicles is EVs. This it does, the the product in my view is irrelevant whether it's electric or fossil fuels or hydrogen or solar powered or whether it's peanuts it doesn't really matter yeah. what what matters is should government dictate the route to market and thus consumer options limiting them
4: and so just just we'll see how it all plays yeah. out wait I mean we have done a great job our news team uh, some of our network people like you have done a great job just kind of talking about talking through. This bill with people because, on a surface level, it doesn't seem like much. It is a big bill, it's a major bill, honestly. Yes, and wait until Electric Magazine and some (laughs) other of these national organizations start to pick it up. This is going to be the talk of the town. And
2: I I gotta leave one final thought before we move to another one is that given that Apple, Google, um, Lucid, there and there, look, there are other companies, right? There are other people and groups and individuals right now, guarantee you that are thinking about producing electric vehicles. It's a twinkle in their eye today. They'll come up with something. They'll enter the market. And they're going to have to make those things, those vehicles, in factories. When they're considering where to build a factory, based on this bill, should it become law? Mississippi's off the list. Check that one off. They're unfriendly to our retail sales model. Therefore, we're not going to invest in a factory. And Mississippi's done really good uh promoting and and facilitating the vehicle manufacturing industry here. It's it's been a major uh economic shot in the arm for Mississippi. This potentially could end it.
4: Yeah, and it might be a bit contradictory towards the special session we had recently. Yeah. Um, okay. So other than that, uh, also going on at the Capitol in Jackson, um, I, as far as I know, no major bills have passed both chambers yet. Right. Um, I don't think so. Uh, some yeah. resolutions, of course, have, yeah. you know, that get voted in block. But one important resolution that just got passed by the Senate either this morning or um, late yesterday afternoon – it all runs together when you work in news, right um, – is The State of the State address is now set for Monday at okay. 5 p.m. Uh, on the steps of the Capitol, and we'll be live-streaming that on all of our Supertalk news, uh, social media, Supertalk, social media, all that stuff. Yeah, so I don't think any other bills have made it through. Um, one bill that I heard you discussing yesterday – it's getting a lot of traction, is this creation of a board for Central Mississippi, a.k.a. Jackson, water system where give the state and our lawmakers, I guess, the chance to control or have a little more control in terms of who runs the city's water system. Yeah. You know, we had a stint last year where um, it just seemed like there was a different boil water notice every other day, if not every day. I don't remember the exact amount of time, but it was like – 50 days or something like that in a row of the entire city on boil water notice. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that makes it through both chambers um, because the state has kind of stepped aside for the time being as the EPA and some of the federal programs work with the city of Jackson to get this thing rolling or hopefully rolling. I mean, water is a. Uh, yep. You have to have it. Yep. And everybody has a right to it. Yep. Um, so I have no other mm-hmm. legislation to discuss right now. So let's move on to. Um, a story that is really garnering some national attention and that's this Jarrell Poe alleged kidnapping yeah um, some details have recently come to light and the whole thing you can't make it up man I mean the city prosecutor of Richland has already said that this is a future Netflix series yeah um, so I spoke with somebody who works at Chase Bank and got some details um, for what Actually happened, and Jarrell Poe. If you don't, if you know that name but can't place it, former All SEC defensive tackle at Ole Miss, playing the NFL six years, Texans, Chiefs. Yep. Um, so a couple of Thursdays ago, uh, Poe and a man by the name of Gavin Bates, outside of California, who I've now found out is a medical marijuana grower himself, hmm. they okay. met up in Laurel, and they said we have some business to take care of. So the business they had to take care of is this guy out of uh I guess Wayne'sboro, is in Wayne'sboro, or Wayne County. Yeah. Um he pretty much all legend – pretty much swindled them into his dispensary business, which is fake. And they said, "We gave you $300,000." That number okay. was confirmed to me. Yeah. "We gave you $300,000, um and you owe us that money. This, you know, this is a scam." And he always would give them, you know, fake excuses, check won't go through, banks closed, whatnot. So they took matters into their own hands, which the original police and others have been very vocal about. You should have gone to the court, but they didn't. So they met up in Laurel, rented a Tesla, which, by the way, was purchased via direct sale. And um, they went to his house, said, come on, you know, we're going to take you to the bank. We're going to get our money one way or another. Um, and he says well a bank got a chase bank in Ridgeland. You know that bank account has forty cents in it, is what I found out. <laughs> uh, he owes him three hundred K. And this guy's been scamming people for oh, years. God. Um so they drove him to Ridgeland, just North of Jackson, and the bank was closed. And, well, we already had this guy technically in our custody. We, have, we, you know, we'll go get a hotel room. And this is the crazy part: Jarrell Poe. You know, he's six, whatever, three, three hundred pounds. Slept on this man's legs for an entire <laughs> night, so he could not escape. You cannot make this up. Future Netflix oh, series. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, next day, right. they went to the bank, and um, as it was confirmed to me uh he went inside and he told them look i've been kidnapped so they took him by his word they called the police (laughs) and he was in there playing on snapchat when the police arrived (laughs) and and, uh, not to mention the entire police department 15 cars showed up to arrest her uh and company and so it's crazy details this story is going to keep growing and growing um i hear some bumper music coming in yeah Before I go, Ole Miss basketball player, he has stepped away from the program after a fatal car incident which he was involved. That's Malik Ewan, uh, I believe the highest-rated prospect ever in the program's history. Disturbing deal. Yeah, you can read all about that and everything we've talked about at supertalk.fm.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
2: It's middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studios. Coming up at 12.05, Ken Berger Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. First sales have been uh, completed, have transpired in the state of Mississippi, and he's going to come on and give us an update on how all that is uh, going. And so I did want to point out, with respect to this HB 401, it's obvious I have a lot of passion about that. I, I just think it's just wrong for government to get involved and intervene in what are just natural market forces like this. And, and I, I'm struggling with the rationale for it that I've heard. But I, I do believe that the governor, certainly this, to this point, and we're three years into his term, has has made good. On his commitment he's championed policy it hasn't all got through but uh, the tax cut for example but we did get some major tax reform he signed off on he's been a champion of full elimination of the income tax and and um, in fiscal responsibility with respect to operating the state's budget I think he's done well there and you know he like virtually every other governor in the country Implemented some restrictions and, and shutdowns during the COVID era, but I've, I felt like was quick to respond and react when it was noticed and, and discovered that those were no longer necessary in, in discussions with health professionals and others that were uh, counseling him in that regard. So I, I'd give him a fairly high grade with respect to that. I do think he is a person that does believe in the private sector and limited government and limited uh, government control and regulation of the private sector, and that's why this is a little surprising, because I believe most of the people at the Capitol, in both houses, feel the same way, and that's why this particular bill just kind of stands out. It's like, what are we doing here? This is, this is not really consistent with those principles, and um, so we'll see where it goes uh, to this point. It would really be something if it makes its way to the governor and and he puts the kibosh on it. And based on the vote in the House, if they still voted along those lines, they'd have sufficient votes to override his veto. And I'm not, certainly not speculating that's where we're headed. I don't know at this point. Just got out of committee in the Senate, and uh, we'll see this debated I'm sure, on the floor, and it will be a fascinating one to watch. I'm just making the point that disruption, change, those are good things. Society benefits from that. Consumers are smart, and we want consumers making these decisions, not government. And if this direct model is not embraced by consumers, then those who are selling through that model Won't survive. They won't sustain. Won't be viable. They'll have to figure something else out. But that's not for government to decide. That's that's just not. It's that is brute force central planning socialism. That's Bernie Sanders. You just have to say it. It is. He wants to tell you. He wants to dictate it. I know I'm beating that horse up, but I, I think that comparison is accurate and it's valid. And I just hope that the good folks at the Capitol will keep that in mind and consider it. Some of these other crazy tweets that I'm seeing, I've been following some of the leftists in this country. And I do that because I'm just shocked at what what drives them, what makes them tick, how much attention and traction and support for their ideas is there. And, and it's substantial. And I think we tend to live in our bubble here, and we don't see as much of that. But here's one that gets 30,000 likes. Somebody who goes by the handle of JoJo from Jers. <laughs> it's got to be somebody. They got 30,000 likes. That's oh, yeah, they got to go to the White House. <laughs> Oh, you know who it is? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't
3: know them, but they are one of the group of influencers that got invited to Biden's White House. Ah,
2: okay. Ham it up with uh, Karine Jean-Pierre and all them. Oh, geez. The most incompetent White House press secretary in history. She says, what Ron DeSantis is doing in the state of Florida, particularly when it comes to public education, should terrify us all. We have to make sure that man never becomes president, because, you know, he doesn't want to teach kindergartners about gender identity and sexual orientation. That should terrify you that he doesn't want that to be policy in Florida, that he doesn't want to teach that prisons should just be wide open. No more prisons in this country. We don't need them, that this concept of equity and what is it else, uh, the the, the um, black queer or whatever the hell it was we realized was in this so-called African-American studies curriculum, he he doesn't want that to be taught in Florida schools. He doesn't want that sort of indoctrination. And, th- and so that's terrifying. Two idiots. It's just unbelievable that that's where we've gotten in this country. I just saw here a story on the television about... A drag queen show at a Milwaukee Bucks basketball game. What? Is, where did all this drag queen stuff suddenly come out of nowhere from? I mean, I know it's been around a long time, but it hasn't been thrust into the mainstream the way it has recently. Why is there? Why do people feel compelled that we just got to get drag queens out there and do a show at the Bucks game, or in libraries, or in schools, or churches? Yeah, there were churches. We featured that story. Where did that come from? Is that another situation? I mean, before I say this, how many people are drag queens? (laughs) How many? Maybe it's more than we would like to believe, but it can't represent any meaningful, statistically relevant number of the population. It, It can't. But yet, They seem to be getting a lot of attention to the point that they're invited to do shows at National Basketball Association games. Incredible. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is lobbying to be Donald Trump's VP. (laughs) True story. (laughs) And I'm kind of wondering now if that's why she didn't really chum up with McCarthy, kind of peeling off from the other group 15, 18, 20 in the House that, that were the holdouts in the Speaker election. And it was curious. And I wonder if that's because Donald Trump, from the beginning, made it known his endorsement of Kevin McCarthy. And maybe that was her making sure she didn't cross him setting herself up for his pick to be VP on the ticket with him. I don't think that's a, a radical, far-fetched thought. That's the way that stuff works. You know that. And all those guys keep scorecards. That's what drives me crazy. Oh, I remember, you you didn't support Kevin, but I supported him. You can't be my VP. That's the way they operate. Just got these T-accounts, we used to call them in accounting world. Got the debits on the left and the credits on the right, You just went to the debit category if you crossed him. We shouldn't operate like that. Here's another one. A.Z. Brittany. Is this one of these influencers, you think? Mm, That doesn't ring a bell. Social security is our money and should never be cut. Drop a heart. Blue heart embedded in the statement. If you agree... (laughs) 18,000 likes.
3: AKA, give me engagement so that my dopamine goes through the roof when the number ticks up on the screen I'm holding in front of my face because my life has so little
2: meaning. (laughs) So somebody, a real clever Twitterer, posts a, I wouldn't call it a meme, it's just a graphic. And it's a graphic that is styled as the the familiar Social Security card with the words Social Security uh, kind of bowed at the top label says Social Security is not a handout, not a gift. It's your money, it's an earned benefit. You are wrong. You're wrong. Because their solution to it is to make people who make more money at the upper end of the income scale pay more into it, but don't get more out to pay for yours, you lazy fool. They don't ever want to talk about that. Oh, it's the rich people. It's okay. They can afford it. No, it's a matter of fairness. Something that never crosses their mind. You know these people that are always pushing us for equity. When it comes to this, they're all about inequity. Coming right back on Middays, stay with us. What do you want to be?
0: Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett. On Super Talk, Mississippi. We're
2: back in the Element Well Studios. It's midday's. Kevin on the ceasefire text line said, "Can y'all get the the information out there about HB 521 for the volunteer firefighters of our state?" I was just. Reviewing that, HP, uh, what is it, 521? And it's a a special fund length of service award, LOSAP, Mississippi Length of Service Award Program, LOSAP, for the recruitment and retention of volunteer firefighters. Looks like that the program would pay length of service awards to eligible volunteer firefighters, It's open to all Mississippi Volunteer Fire Department members. Now, I haven't dug into all the details that uh, would specify the eligibility to receive these benefits. Looks like eligible, just reading real quickly here, volunteer firefighters shall not include full-time firefighters or career firefighters. So they have to be volunteer, not compensated as firefighters. Looks like it is a defined contribution as opposed to a defined benefit. That simply means that whatever goes into it and whatever yeah, return is produced on that investment, kind of like a four oh one K plan, that's what you get out. I'm not saying it's gonna be invested in securities, but it's not something where you receive it like a defined benefit plan, which is what PERS is, or Social Security or Medicare, which is you just you start receiving those benefits as long as you're living, essentially. So this is a an amount that's based on the amount that went in it. That's a defined contribution plan, the amount contributed to the plan. So it's a point system they're going to create to determine who would be eligible, and they earn points based on performance. And they're, the um, Department of Insurance would be charged with creating this program, and they would would uh, devise this point system and determine what activities and what sort of performance and contributions as a volunteer firefighter would qualify for the points, and then you um, accumulate these points, and that would be figured into your bonus. That's just a high level, best I can tell from from uh, perusing at this point. Just wanted to get that Answer out there, and
3: because of the complexity of creating that, it was double referred to both the House Insurance and the House Appropriations Committees. It is only passed out of the House Insurance Committee at this point. Okay,
2: well, when you see, and, and it makes sense when you see that the 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 board of trustees, okay, which would uh, that would be established to operate this fund, oversee this fund, that would be done in conjunction with the Mississippi Insurance Department. They would then create this point system, and they would also create the list of activities that would qualify for the points and the amount of points that would be assigned for a firefighter um, who completed those activities. So, yeah, and then how much would be contributed. So there's a lot of work to be done, and that's probably what... They're reviewing in these committees. There, there is a, I'd say, kind of a dual aspect of this that necessitates it being double referred. A lot of times, of course, when they're double referred, you're trying to kill them. They just don't get out of both committees. I'm not sure if that's the case here, although I'm curious that you said it came out of one, not the other, at this point. And maybe that is the case. Don't know. Where I haven't talked to anybody about their feelings in the legislature about their feelings on this, but appreciate that being brought to our attention. Carolyn Starkwell says that this HB 401, I think that's what she's talking about, because we were discussing that at the time she sent this text, is uh, is communism. It It's really socialism, uh, Carol, if, if it were... And the, the main distinction there is in a, a communistic economic system, there are no or very limited rights to private property. Whereas socialism, private Individuals, private organizations, and entities can can own property, but the government pretty much controls how that property is is utilized in the economy. Now, that's that's the central planning feature of socialism. It's all about the means and amount of production determined by central planners and government, uh, i.e., uh, Venezuela or e.g., Venezuela. That's a that's about as stark an example as I could give there of recent memory. There have been, uh, obviously, lots of uh, similar scenarios throughout history where this was attempted. And
3: Well, just think about all the different businesses from across the state or even across the country that have popped up in old pizza huts. And you know they're old pizza huts because of the roof on the building. Well, under socialism, if you bought that building, you couldn't make it into a car lot or a doctor's office or a bank. It had to remain a pizza
2: hut. Yeah, that's right. S- similar. And, and, and you know, I think most clear-thinking people say, and, and this would probably aggravate the pure libertarians, that we need some form of reasonable regulation. I, I'm going to opine that most people in this country are on board with that. Where you get into the distinctions is the, the degree and level to which that should go. If you're more left-leaning, you want more government regulation. You want more government intervention into every aspect of life. You don't rely on markets. In fact, you generally detest markets. It's Bernie Sanders. Too much deodorant. We don't need all this choice and options. But yet, who could forget Barack Obama when he was promoting his plans for health care reform? This would improve choice and competition. Remember that? Over and over again. And what we got was, oh, fewer choices, less competition, and higher prices, because you try to centrally control one-sixth of the economy. By the way, way, my friend, uh, Representative Bubba Carpenter, says that this uh, HB 521, he says this is an excellent piece of legislation for the retention and recruitment of volunteer firefighters in our state. And I would say on the surface, it does appear to be that way. And in general, I don't have a problem. With, with economic incentives to address a, a problem. And that, that's, that's kind of the market at work. You need more firefighters, which we clearly do. Hmm, might need to incentivize them economically. That's the market at work. Just is. And so appreciate that, Bubba. Thanks for sending it in. Jack and Jack Town says, uh, Gerard, appreciate your consistency of message vis-a-vis free market Laissez-faire. bravo! Uh, thanks for that, Jack. And and uh, again, I, I speak from experience, and I and I hope that that doesn't uh, sound arrogant. It's not my intention. It, it's just I lived it. You know, we hear the left talk about that all the time. It's got to be based on lived experiences. Well, this is a lived experience. I, I fought those battles. I overcame them in my business career. And and frankly ended up better. The disruption made my company more valuable. It looked like it was gonna cannibalize it and force us out of business and the opposite occurred. But you you know, you gotta gotta suit up every day and go into battle. And guess what, Rhino, in capitalism? I know the left doesn't like to hear this. They're winners and losers. Just like in every human endeavor. What they say and what they promise, what they tout is that, oh no, if we're in control, everybody's a winner, but they're not. It's equal misery. And just like we, I quoted this Social Security tweet, all these fools out here, it's my money. No, it's really not. And what I mean by that is, if it were just as simple as, Hey, whatever I put in, I get out. That's a defined contribution plan. That is your money. But that's not how Social Security or PERS works, for that matter, at the state. Your benefits are somewhat tied to that. But if you live to be 150, you're going to get them until you die. And the only reason you're even receiving benefits, those who who uh, earn lower incomes in their a work career where they were paying into Social Security, is because the people with earn higher incomes, because they paid more. And they don't get more, because it maxes out. So you can get your part. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to. And that's not even taking into consideration the fact that your employer funded half of it. That's the way the program works. Does the employer say, you know, when you retire, send me half. I paid for half. That honestly would be fair. It ain't going to work. I'm not proposing it. But that's what government said. You, employer, are going to pay for half of your employees' benefits. Back in the 30s, under FDR, that's when it launched it. Now it's a $1.2 trillion program. And it's going broke. And all folks are trying to do is call attention to that so we can fix it. But... Fools like Joe Biden say, Republicans want to take away your Social Security. No, you, by resting on your laurels, want to take it away, because something's got to be done. And it can't just be tax the rich, AOC. We got some sound from her when we come back. Stay with us.
0: Ah, It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbons. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Take a shower and shine your shoes. Well, you got no time to lose. You are young man, you must be living. Go now, you are forgiven. But the men stood fast with their guns on their shoulders, not knowing what to do with the contradicting orders. The general said he would do his own duty, but he extended no further. The men could go as they pleased. but not a man moved. Their eyes gazed straight ahead till one by one they stepped back. And what the heck is that? The old general was left with his own words echoing. It's a
3: song that tells a story. It doesn't happen very often anymore. <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> you need to play Winchester Cathedral. <laughs> That's a story. It doesn't make any sense, but it's a story. It could have been, a, there could have been some illegal drugs involved. No. You don't say Oh, gosh. There's a couple of things that have popped up that have caught my attention in the last couple of days that I just wonder if they're listening to my show, our show here. One of those is in, both of these are found in in media outlets you wouldn't expect. That's one, the New York Times, and the other, the Washington Post. So in the New York Times, the title of the article, What if diversity training is doing more harm than good? Wake up there, New York Times! Incredible. And so and described it as a scam, a hoax, a shakedown industry? It is. The American market for diversity, equity, and inclusion, says the New York Times, exploded. In 2020, it was $3.4 billion paid to these consultants. And they're saying, you know, hmm, doesn't seem to be working. You don't say In fact, they're saying what we've said. It's backfiring. It's causing people to get more dug in, more mad, because people don't like to be forced and bullied and told by overpriced consultants that they're evil, wicked, and racist. Imagine that. They don't like that. Even left-leaning people don't like that. DEI training says the article is designed to help organizations become more welcoming to members of traditionally marginalized groups. These diversity workshops can foster better intergroup relations, improve the retention of minority employed employees, and close recruitment gaps. The only problem after 3.4 billion a year And that was two years ago. You know it's probably doubled since then. But this was a recently published article. That's just the latest data they have on the spending. The only problem, there's little evidence that many of these initiatives work. And the specific type of diversity training that is currently in vogue, mandatory training, that blames dominant groups for DEI problems, may well have a net negative effect.
3: You don't say.
2: What tipped them off? And I can't get into the weeds on this next one. So that's the New York Times now acknowledging, yeah, maybe this isn't really working. So the other one is the Washington Post. Now, just a reminder, you've heard me say so many times uh, on what is required to balance the budget. You got this whole chunk of mandatory spending, Which includes Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, just a host of other programs, essentially redistribution programs, and then, of course, debt interest. That's now 72% of our spending. So the Washington Post produced a graph that, I swear, looks like they've been listening to the show, because they have said, you want to cut spending to achieve budget A balanced budget? Guess what? These are the categories. What do you want to cut? And this is a serious problem. I mean, it's a serious question. If you looked at all spending except defense, veterans, Social Security, and and Medicare, if you cut that, you'd have to cut 85% of it. So just take defense, Medicare, uh, Medicaid, and Social Security off the table Now you want to balance the budget. Can't touch Medicare, can't touch Social Security, can't touch defense. You've heard it over and over and over again. And I'm not accepting uh, the Republicans either here. Okay, well then you'd have to look at the remaining spending and cut 85% of it. Now there may be some people out there saying, I'm all for that, cut 85%. The point is, nobody wants to dig into this level of detail. Hats off to the Washington Post. They must have been tuning in. Because we, I've said before, you've heard me, look, we could cut to you leftists, to you Democrats that are always complaining about defense spending, and I'm not suggesting there's not rooms for cuts there. I believe there are. But what they've said is, we got to cut defense spending. That would balance the budget. Cut the entire defense spending. you still got to double that to balance the budget. That's the point. And the Washington Post acknowledges that. We're going to get to AOC's her opinion as to why we are producing budget deficits and running up the debt. We'll get to that, but first, after the news break, it's Ken Newberger, Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association.
0: And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi, the afternoon portion of the program on this. Friday, y'all. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios, Ken Neuberger, Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. Welcome, Ken. Good to
1: see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, so first sales... Transacted uh, this past week. Right. right.
1: Everybody. Uh, everybody's really excited. It's been a long journey for a lot of us. that have been working on this for the past couple of years.
2: Where did uh, there seems to be a little bit of a conflict on exactly who gets credited with the first sales? Right. That correct.
1: Well, <laughs> from from what we can see, um, around the same time, like within probably thirty minutes of each other. Okay. Um, in Brookhaven and in Oxford, the first sales were happening. Okay. Yeah.
2: How is it going with uh, respect to patients getting uh, their, their certification, their their cards, their necessary credentials to purchase medical marijuana?
1: Well, it's been pretty smooth um, over the past three months. Um, so in October, early October, we had 300 patients, um, and now we have almost 1,900. Hmm. Um, so it's been a smooth uptick over the past couple months. Um but the physicians that I've been talking to who have been really big supporters of this for a long time, they said that the past 48 hours have just been crazy how how much people are calling them, uh, hmm. going online to set up appointments to see them. Um, yeah, because there's, there's only a few doctors in the state, uh, I think uh, about 100 and, okay. uh, 100 or so, um, who can actually write the certifications. Okay. And, and that's a mix of physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs um, that can actually write these scripts. Yeah,
2: in accordance with the law. Mm-hmm. It uh, The law specifies... Uh, who can be authorized mm-hmm. to certify patients, sure. and then the, uh, the, the various uh, conditions to receive a card, the ailments, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it looks like maybe because that we, we're selling now, that retail business is open, that interest is gaining, that perhaps people put it off until then.
1: That's right. Um, two things are the case there. If you look in other states, they also saw a larger uptick once product was made available. Okay, Um, but also the way that the card works is it's only valid once you get your certification. And if you'd gotten that three months ago, then that's three months of time that your card is valid, and you have a 12 month window to use it. So, so you're effectively having to go out, pay for a doctor's visit and then only get 75% of what you would otherwise be able to get.
2: Well, use. that certainly would explain why the kind of sudden uptick in interest and, and folks looking to uh, get their cards. But, of course, that that's sort of a, a, right. a one-time scenario. Right, One, once it's exciting.
1: I mean, there are a lot of people who kind of forgot about um, medical marijuana mm-hmm. after 2020. Um, yeah, I you know, think that's big right. supporters that once it got overturned by the Supreme Court in 2021, they kind of lost hope. Um but now that they're seeing the stories, saying "Hey, sales are starting," they're starting to keep look at the actual program and say, "Oh, I, I, I do have the faith now that it's it's actually happening." Mm-hmm. It is.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. So there's some limitations on advertising and promotion uh, for the various participants in the supply chain in the industry, and of course, the main ones would likely be the retailers. That's right. The the um, the treatment centers, is that what we call them in our bill, or are they um, dispensaries? They're dispensaries. Okay. In,
1: in the Initiative 65 uh, bill, that that's was where, where I we called from. them, that's uh, where Medical I Marijuana it. Treatment Center. Okay. But, but they're dispensaries um, under the current bill. Okay, um, So they're limited somewhat where they can advertise, right? That's Where right. they can promote. That's right. Um, can't do big billboards anywhere. Uh, in fact, what you can and can't advertise um, is restricted. I mean, you can't make false statements about how it's going to cure everything for you or anything. Um In the current regulations, you can advertise products. Uh, There's some proposed that run contradictory to that. There's some cleanup language in the bill that specifies, look, we've made this legal in Mississippi, so dispensaries need to be able to communicate appropriately with patients and prospective patients. Mm -hmm. Here are the products you can expect. Here's what they look like. Here's how you can use them. Um, So we're moving in a place where a very factual and educational style um, online presence for dispensaries will be permitted. Okay.
2: Remind us again where we settled in the final bill with
1: respect to amount the patient could uh, could purchase. So you can have uh, a maximum of three ounces per month. Um, those are divided up into what we call Mississippi Medical Cannabis uh, Equivalency Units. And, okay. uh, it's a very fancy, long-term MMCEU, uh, which means you can buy f- effectively 24 units that add up to three ounces of flour Mm -hmm. per month. Um, And then there are equivalencies for extracts and edibles and and tinctures. Those are all certain equivalency units that work, um, so that way you're not buying too much. Okay,
2: gotcha. So I I remember that was likely, I think, could arguably be, I should say, uh, described as kind of the final, most controversial uh, topic, uh, issue, Within the legislation that got sorted out, got all the parties together, the governor had some ideas, folks in the legislature had an idea, the association had ideas, and, yeah. and I, I think it's fair to say we had a compromise. We achieved a compromise.
1: That, that's right. Um, you know, initial 65 had five ounces yeah. a month, and uh, initially they thought, let's go down to four, then three and a half, and finally three, yeah. uh, which is – a little lower than our surrounding states, um, but if you look at medical programs throughout the history of, of medical marijuana in, Mrs. in the United States, we, um, we're about in the middle, maybe a little on the lower end of how much you can get, but yeah. that middle area.
2: All right, so now that, that uh, much of the industry is, uh, is in production, uh, if you think about the various uh, elements of the supply chain, and now we've got the retail, which would, was – Obviously, going to be the final, and now that's in place. They're in business. They're they're actively selling. Anything that comes to mind that you've heard from uh, these these operators that we need to tune or tweak in the law?
1: Well, I know that everybody's focused on the patient count. Um, okay. Like I said, we're, we're a little under two thousand patients, about about eighteen, nineteen hundred or so, and. While that is low and we're seeing more people go to actually get their card, there are some administrative problems. Like if you were to go get a card today, if you don't finish up all of your applications with the Department of Health within 60 days, you have to revisit a doctor and get another certification. So um, that is looking to be extended to 180 days in the new bill that is proposed this year. Um, You also are required to have um, certain tests done that – may or may not actually impact your ability to get a card, so removing those and just leaving that up to the discretion of the doctor, whether those are called, um, those need to be fixed, and I think they will be fixed. Okay.
2: So, I mean, that's uh, honestly one of the good things about it being in statute, as opposed to being embedded in the Constitution, is Initiative 65 would have... uh, Absolutely
0: done.
1: That, so. That's right. And and there are other things that are getting clarified, you know, what you can and can't do, how you can build, what is safe and secure, uh, what's clean. You know, those are all handled mostly at the regulatory level, but some of those are getting debated in the legislature as well. Okay. Uh,
2: other states taking a look at what's happening here in Mississippi is where, I guess,
1: the newcomer to yes. this world? Yes. Actually, they're all pretty much in awe of how quickly we did this. Okay. Um, most states look at our law and say this was passed in 2022 on february 2nd yeah and less than a year later we're seeing our first sale i think that's the fastest turnaround of any state with the exception of oklahoma Hmm. where they they have a very unregulated um and i would say bad market it's it's flooded with, with too many bad actors um but with that exception we were the fastest and probably the the cleanest as well
2: okay well there i think it's fair to say as well that we did have the benefit of seeing what worked and what didn't work in many of the other states that prior to us enacted medical marijuana programs.
1: That's right. Um, I, I, I know that Dr. Dobbs, when he was uh, head of the Department of Health, he relied heavily on calling other states sure. and saying what worked there, what yeah. didn't work there. No and, and need and to I, the wheel. That's right. Um, sure. Being 37th is, you know, a lot of people are glad that it's not 50th. Yeah. Um, and it's also a good bit behind a lot of states that got it wrong.
2: Yeah, so we're, we, we're, same exact thing happened. I got to tell you, with the lottery, you know, I serve on the board there, right. and, and I used to tell people, well, if you're if you're uh, a fan of the lottery, the bad news is we're the 45th state. The good news is we got 44 others to uh, to review, that's right, and examine when we create our programs. Right. So um, that's that's just a you know part of
1: the reality of. Being slow, yeah, and and it—you know, our our rollout was not without a couple hiccups uh, along the way, but it was still because we were able to look at what other states did and failed. Yeah, um, you know, unlike their hiccups that cost them a yeah. year or two. you got to avoid sometimes. those pitfalls right we were able yeah. to do it in less than a
2: year yeah that's uh, that's always the case uh, we just missed on the time that's the same thing would tell about a lottery so we just have past time that we can't go back and reclaim but we can make sure we get a good program yeah. in place have you had any conversations with members of the legislature they've been checking in with you seeing how it's going
1: yes and you know i think in the past month um partially because they're in session, but also because it's just exciting. I've had more and more legislators reach out to me and my team and say, hey, I want to come see a dispensary. Okay. I want to come see a grow facility. I want to know what it looks like on the inside. Yeah, Because um, we can show them pictures, we can describe it, but there's nothing like personal experience.
2: Well, I know that uh, your organization had some estimates. You created some estimates on on what you thought sales would be and, uh, and of course, it's a little unfair to do that in year one because you're still ramping up patients and you're ramping up retails. But in year two, when we're seasoned a bit, I'll be anxious to talk to you about exactly how close your estimates were to um, the reality. You know,
1: I, our, we actually overshot um, or undershot how much we'd collect in fees. Gotcha. They collected about twice as many fees uh, okay. than we expected. Well, that's that's good news. Yeah, that about $9.8 million, I think.
2: Appreciate the update, Ken. Thanks. Yeah. Ken Neuberger, Executive Director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back.
0: We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. And we are in the Element Well Studios on this. Friday, y'all. Little grassroots bumping us into this segment. So, I know I've gone off on some rants about this, just misinformation about the federal budget and spending. And in particular, you recall yesterday, we were predicting... Joe Biden's speech yesterday, he did one on the economy, told you how great it is, how great your life is, because of him. And he, the number of gaffes in the speech um, is pretty high. So what I've noticed on the White House website when they publish the speech is that <laughs> when he says something that's wrong. Have you seen this? They'll annotate it. So that they publish his exact words, of course, because it's a quote. But I guess in an effort to correct things that he said that were incorrect, they, they show it, they publish it with the word he said that's incorrect, or words, red line, with a line through them. And then the replacement, true word, in brackets next to it so one of those had to do with congressman don Byer, a democrat from virginia that's where he was speaking he called him doug four times where's doug (laughs) i can't help but laugh where's doug where where's doug and so in the In the transcript published on the White House website, it's got Doug crossed out with Don bracketed next to it. And then there was something else where he um, he mentioned 700,000 new economic projects, 700,000. And they crossed that out and replaced it with (laughs) 7,000. He just missed it by 693,000 there. Uh he was just ninety percent off. It's incredible. And the and the poor guy's got Doug. Uh he says, uh where's where's Doug, the congressman? He's around here somewhere. And some audience member says, Right here, right here. Oh, there you are, Doug. Thanks for the passport into town. Doug and I have something in common. We both married way above our station. Way above our station. Except his name is Don. (laughs) You can't make it up. Uh, It's the president, though. He also said, I told you he was going to do this. Republicans want to raise your gas prices. They want to cut taxes for billionaires who pay virtually only 3%, and they crossed that out, did the White House staffers, and replaced it with 8%. But that's not right either. That's the problem. Because they do all kinds of funny math on what their income is. That's the problem. They don't take that into consideration. It's just so doctored up. To drive a point. And the deal about raising your gas prices, what he's referring to there is that Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced a bill that would prohibit the government from ever releasing the president from having the authority to release oil out of the reserve. Was it a bill or an amendment?
3: I think she offered an amendment. Okay.
2: But yeah, uh, either, either way, right, that you're right. Was the point it was an it. amendment. It was an amendment. You're right. Bar Biden from selling, and it goes down in defeat. It got defeat on a bipartisan basis. It You don't really want to completely prohibit the president from exercising this authority, because there there is a need for that sometimes. And I do get worried about getting into some protracted debate in the Congress about leveraging that asset, accessing that asset, in a time... Of of urgency, such as the country's being attacked, that, that's really the purpose of it. The main purpose of that reserve is to be there, really not to use it as Biden is, which is to just release some supply onto the market to drive the price down so you can get reelected. That's not what it's designed for. It's designed to pick up the slack and to serve as a cushion and protection. In the event of some sort of military conflict, that's really what it was designed for. It goes back to World War II. It goes back to World War II, because it was widely believed by the war strategist, who's ever got some fuel here is probably going to win this deal. And that ultimately is what happened. And so they said, you know what? We probably ought to think about storing some away for a rainy day like this in the future. But Biden has abused his power. I totally get that. And and so maybe the remedy there is something different than just saying total prohibition. But that's what he's saying. Well, that's not really true either. It's this temporary, let me just take some oil and and thus out of the strategic reserve and thus possibly put the nation at risk. And our foes know this, by the way. That's abuse of power, in my view. So I get what the congresswoman was trying to do, but he's not being accurate and honest either. They want to raise your gas prices. Well, that, I think, implies that they want to go do what you want to do, is force the oil and gas companies to just not make any money, and the retailers, as he insisted last year, you got to go out to the pumps and <laughs> lower the price. Do it now. Remember that? That's again a socialism, a central planning. I'm telling you what to sell it for. So it it's disingenuous to say they want to raise your gas prices. No, what they want is you to keep your grubby hands off this these reserves that are there for a rainy day, a much more urgent scenario than you got to get reelected. The problem is, and honestly, of all the policies, I think that we've seen under this president, I, I submit that by far the very worst was him really ratcheting up this war on fossil fuels. I think you go back to day one when it was climate change, climate change, climate change, and we're going after the fossil fuels industry. We're shutting them down. We're You're not going to be in business anymore. That, I believe, has caused more pain to the country and maybe the world. That figures in rather significantly into the war in Ukraine. It's how Russia gets their damn money. And if you'd have kept the price down by allowing our market, our innovators, our oil and gas producers to do what they do, which is pump that stuff out, I don't think Russia goes to war. They were funded by this rather significant increase, sharp increase, in the price of oil. You drive that down to where it was a few years ago under Trump, Uh, They have struggled. But you just handed it to them. So think about the ridiculousness of that. We implement policy that drives up the price of oil, which funds and aids in the funding of Russia's prosecution of the war against Ukraine, and then we send them tanks and money to fight them. That's just dumb. Totally dumb. And then you knew, I warned about this, the fair tax. Oh, he pounced on that yesterday. They want to impose a 30... Ah, this one I love, says Joe. They want to impose a 30% national sales tax on everything from food, clothing, school supplies, housing, cars, a whole deal, 30%. No. Oh, you think I'm joking? What if What if I did if they didn't see it? If you didn't, if it did see it, I wouldn't believe... What is, what is he saying? So I knew they were going to pounce on this. And remember, McCarthy, he ended up having a cave because those detractors says, we got to get the fair tax out there. And nobody will take the time to understand it and to consume the real data and the real impact of this. But Joe did, or people that do the writing here did, and said, you got to go out there and tell them they want to make everything cost 30% more. You're against that, and it's the MAGA Republicans that are doing that. They're going to use this very effectively. Now, this bill ain't got a chance, and we knew it from day one. I just wish all those people would go away that have been, you know, they've been pushing this for a long time. And that's not to say that I'm not in favor of some way to look at transforming out of an income tax and over to a consumption tax is the way we we fund government. I'm all for that. But we got to think through it a little more than just putting this bill out there and this plan that's been out there a long time, because they immediately pounced on it to their benefit. That's my fear, because they're going to bring this up, folks, in 24. Next time we go to the ballot box to vote for our members of the House and what have we got? 34 senators up for reelection in the next cycle, I believe. They're going to be all over this one. They wanted to raise the price of everything already. People are under stress from that. They want to eliminate the income tax system, says Joe Biden. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us.
0: Gerard Gibbert.
2: the one-hit wonder
0: days.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Joe said they want to cut taxes for billionaires who pay virtually only 3%, except it got corrected to be 8%. And that's not right either. Of their income now, 8% they pay. Or he said 3%. And then he says, you know, a babysitter pays more than that. It's just, it's just so disingenuous the way they always report that, because they focus on percentages. And the fact is, that babysitter makes a whole lot of money if they're paying, honestly, 8% of their income, because that's not true. They do Social Security and Medicare, Taxes, payroll taxes, if they're being paid via payroll, if they're being paid cash, which most of them are, they ain't paying squat of that either, unless they're receiving a 1099 for the payment from the household that hired them to be a babysitter. I don't know too many people that do that. So that all avoids taxation. Honestly, that's evading taxation, because you're supposed to report it, if you don't, and I'm, I'm fine with it, just to be clear, uh, but uh, but let's just be honest about how the law works. That's how it works. But we already know half the households in the country don't pay taxes, don't pay income taxes, federal income taxes. And if you look at the top, I believe the last data I looked at, the top 10% of taxpayers pay Is it 98% of the taxes? It's it's a, a huge outsized chunk of it. And that never gets brought up. They always talk in terms of percentages. They think that that, and I guess it works. I guess to the average person out there, that sort of junk works. The percentage argument, as opposed to the actual dollar value argument, and the total tax burden that is shouldered by the different income groups. That never gets into the discussion, because they can't win that argument. That their logic is immediately refuted and debunked, because it's just not true. And nobody tends to want it, but they want to tell you, again, before I say this, that it's unfair. they got to pay their fair share. And they look at that as based on the percentage. Why does that matter? The percentage is irrelevant. It should be irrelevant, in my view. What matters is how much do they really pay? And they don't ever seem to want to have that that discussion. And the same is true for the way that Social Security and Medicare works. So a lot of people probably aren't aware that 46% now of Medicare is funded by income taxes, meaning all that money you pay into Medicare, all those premiums you pay Medicare once you retire, because you do have a little premium depending on your income, and you enroll in Medicare, still not enough to pay the bills. So they have to take from the income tax revenue to fund Medicare. It's absolutely happening right now. 46%, almost half of total Medicare spending, which is 760 Nine billion dollars last year, almost half comes from income taxes, which are not supposed to cover the cost of Medicare. That's supposed to be covered by the amount you pay through your payroll and the amount that you uh, that the, and the amount that you pay in the form of premiums. And they just don't ever look at that. Don't care. It doesn't seem because it doesn't fit the old narrative, right? Oh, gosh. I just saw, I think I got this right, where you've been reading this story as well. Uh, Biloxi City Council. What, uh, what happened there? Apparently under investigation.
3: Yeah, the DEA is a little tight-lipped mm-hmm. on exactly what they were looking for, but they did raid his home and a couple of his businesses, including a business that is in the business of selling kratom. And the DEA, the only thing I could really find about the DEA starting the investigation was complaints filed by parents of underage minors who had access to the Kratom at these stores.
2: Hmm. Robert Deming, the city councilman, who also ran for U.S. Congress in the 4th District in 2020, was it? That's correct. Uh, As a Republican... Stephen Palazzo, of course, won the primary and then ultimately was elected to Congress, did not win in his bid for re-election in 2022. Congressman Mike Ezell now holds that seat. And so looking at actual IRS data, the top 1% of taxpayers in this country whose Adjusted gross income averages $2.7 million. They paid an effective rate of 26%. The top 1% paid 43%, 43% of all taxes. Now, that's one, by the way, that's 1.5 million tax returns. Think about that, folks 1.5 million households there are i believe right now 120 million households in the country and the reason i'm using households instead of individuals is because the returns are are attached to a household because you could have multiple taxpayers in the household right you could have the taxpayer and spouse in the household both of whom earn income file a joint return so it's instead of two returns that'd be one because they file joint So I think it's 120 million households in the country. That's the number that sticks in my head. Well, 1.5 million of those households fund nearly half the government. So we're relying on 1.5 million households to send money to the federal government to fund the services consumed by 330 million people. A sliver of the population. The top 10 percent, I was off a little bit, the top 10 percent pay 75 percent of the taxes. That's 15 million households. It's the top 50, by the way, of returns that pay 98 percent, the top 50 percent. So 50 percent of people pay 98 percent of the taxes, and 50 percent of the households pay 2 percent of the taxes. But that's supposed to be fair. That's what we're told. And so their solution to the deficit challenge to achieve a balanced budget, pretty straightforward, AOC tells you exactly what's causing it. We can get her to talk. She's usually not without words. Uh,
1: Democrats have been in charge for the past two years. Do you think Democrats have spent too much money? Um, I think the largest contributor to the debt ceiling or our
4: deficit has been the Trump tax Watch cuts. That. But i got to go. You Sorry.
1: Gotta go. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.
2: You heard it there from AOC. She told you it's the Trump tax cuts. Wrong, wrong, wrong. She needs to tune in. You can't on the one hand say the Trump tax cuts were worth $2 trillion. And then on the other hand say... Oh, that $1.5 trillion deficit we created this year and the the uh, $2.8 trillion deficit produced in Biden's first year? Trump tax cuts! Except the $2 trillion the CBO estimated? Mm, that's not right. It was $1.5 is what they estimated. The, the Democrats always... I don't know why they inflate it all the time. Because it's their own government agency that said $1.5. Except they're wrong. Because revenues went up. And it's 10 years. So if you took the 1.5, just just give them the benefit of the doubt, and divided it by 10, that's 1.5 or uh, 150 billion. That's 10% of the deficit. It's just simple math. You learn this in about, what, the third grade fractions and stuff like that, percentages? When you start learning that? Third, fourth grade?
3: Somewhere around there, yeah. I want to say third grade was multiplication tables.
2: Well, AOC, she's got an economics degree or something, doesn't she, from Boston University? Do you think she's intentionally lying, or does you think so? Or does she not know?
3: I mean, Hanlon's razor tells us to not put it on malice
2: if you can be explained away by ignorance. (laughs) Okay. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. You educated me there. What? what she says is just wrong. That's just wrong. I just went through the math. Maybe I need to send her something. Here's the math here, sweetheart, how this works. Where are the Republicans? Why don't they call her out and tell the... Because, you know, a lot of people hear that and say, yeah, AOC says the Trump tax cuts, and they buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. Final segment on Midday is coming up.
0: Art Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi. Say, get up and dance the music. Get up and dance the music. <laughs> A
2: <laughs> little sly I just heard the promo about me storing my, my um, classified documents inside a journey record jacket I love that that's awesome who came up with that idea that's pretty creative I have to pass it on to my Fellow journey (laughs) zealots. A lot of groupies out there. We're all old, though. That's the problem. (laughs) So the Mississippi legislature supports me buying weed but not buying an EV online, says Thomas in Greenwood. That's certainly one way to look at it. You enjoyed your article on HB 401, surprised that vote was so lopsided. I, I agree with you that's on the ceasefire text line. Not sure if you guys have talked about this Tyree Nichols tragedy, but it's looking like tonight could get crazy in Memphis. Yeah, we haven't talked about it, and I, I've been following it. It's a bizarre deal, and I do trust the governor, who seems to be a reasonable person, Lee, Governor Lee of, of Tennessee, in the, uh, I think it's the Texas Department, uh, pardon me, the Tennessee Department of Investigation, or some, I don't remember the exact, investigatory group, but they're warning that uh, after viewing the video that it's appalling, I think is the word they use to describe it. So, gosh, sure hope that uh, it doesn't prompt and provoke lots of violence and rioting. And in this one is a situation where it was all five officers are black, right, Rhino? This was a FedEx driver, I believe. As I recall? I don't get it. I really don't. I just don't get it. My solution, says Gene and Mendenhall talking about taxes is if you don't contribute, you don't get nothing. Hey Gene, I, I've seen folks argue that they're entitled I've literally seen this in the state of Mississippi. I know, from legislators, that people who work, the so-called working poor, which is what Medicaid expansion is designed to to cover, that they are entitled to Medicaid because they do pay taxes, Social Security and Medicare taxes. That's their rationale. They don't pay income taxes, which is what funds Medicaid. Social Security and Medicare taxes don't fund Medicaid. Medicaid. They fund Social Security and Medicare. Except, as we've shown, that's not enough to fund Social Security and Medicare. Income taxes paid by these people, they say, don't pay enough? That's what funds it. Unbelievable. And in fact, the wealth tax being promoted, if you've been keeping up with this in California, which would even tax you if you left the state, which sounds crazy, but they, they want to raise taxes on the on the wealthy, wealth tax, and income surtaxes, so they can create more programs. They're saying that it, literally their rationale for it, their justification, it's unfair the rich people use more government services to get rich than the people on welfare. But they, okay, so you could say, sure, they're using the roads, they're using the infrastructure, they're using police protection. I'm not even sure that exists anymore in California. Because most of those folks are hiring private security to protect their property and their businesses. So it's kind of a joke when you start thinking about it. But just, okay. The government services. Well, the difference is, those folks, those entities, those taxpayers, they leverage those services to create value for society. They take one unit and turn it into a thousand. Those in the recipient class produce and contribute nothing and then receive a thousand. That's what they fail to understand. oh well they use more services yeah but they're producing with it. they so yeah and they by the way that's who paid the taxes to fund those services. How can this be so hard? How can this be so hard to figure out? I know I get fired up about it because I see people that you think would be smarter than that, that are sitting in the White House, in Congress, at other levels of government. And it's like they don't seem to get this pretty simple concept. It just blows me away. Blows me away. James in Hattiesburg says, so... Since Mississippi has 3 million people, for example, if our state has 1.5 million households at the top 1%, a group that size of Mississippi pays 46% of the country's taxes. Ridiculous. That is correct, James. You got it. James got the math. He ain't, he's not qualified to go to Washington. <laughs> he understands math. <laughs> That's like a requirement. Can't do math. Okay, you're elected. You got it, James. I know. It is scary. You never hear about that. This kind of fits that Congressman uh, Hank Johnson's narrative that Guam's going to tip over. Yeah, because there's too many people not paying taxes. They're going to tip over the people who are. We're out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Until then, stay safe. God bless. All the Red wild.